there is a kind of simplified dominant narrative, a script more or less, for stories about the Catholic sexual abuse uh, scandal. And that has got down to a narrative that involves uh, negligent uh, bishops and church officials versus victims. Anything that falls outside that rather simple uh, narrative really has not been uh, sufficiently investigated. A rebuttal and a protest from esteemed former New York Times religion writer Peter Steinfels. You're listening to Beliefs from Religion News Service. I'm Bill Baker. Peter Steinfels was a senior religion reporter for the New York Times and bi-weekly columnist for about 20 years. He's an author, a scholar, a distinguished thinker, and journalist. Steinfels recently authored an explosive article in the publication Commonweal. In it, he makes an impassioned, meticulously developed case that a recent grand jury report on sexual abuse in Pennsylvania was, quote, inaccurate, unfair, and misleading. Steinfels claims the report was surrounded by bad press coverage as a result of journalistic laziness, a misrepresentation of the efforts made by the Catholic Church to address the crisis, and a dramatic rollout of allegations not supported by the report. We spoke to Peter in New York. Peter, welcome to this podcast, and thank you for doing it. Uh, You're quite welcome. What led you to dig so deeply into the August 2018 Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report? which uh, has been really broadly covered by all media in America. And, um, and it's also uh, started similar investigations and grand juries in other states. Well, when the report came out, I was uh, shocked and appalled, uh, like I think any morally sensitive person would be, by the accounts of uh, sexual abuse by predatory priests against uh, children and uh, teenagers. But that was only one part of the report. There were, in fact, two distinct charges in the report, uh, one against uh, those predatory priests and the other against the way that uh, bishops and other Catholic Church officials had handled allegations of abuse over seven decades from 1945 to the present. The way that this was written up in the report was very dramatic, very sweeping, without any distinctions really between time periods or different dioceses or different bishops and so on. And I was uh, really taken aback in a way by that. And those uh, charges against the bishops and church officials were pretty much covered in the first 12 pages of an 884-page report. 12 pages, which were the basis for almost every news story and TV broadcast that I saw. And they uh, charged that all victims were, quote, brushed aside, Uh, that the bishops, quote, did nothing while priests were raping little boys and little girls except to hide it all, and that this was done Uh, out of the motive of protecting the reputation of abusers and of church institutions. Uh, When I said that, and having covered the question of the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church for some 30 years, I thought to myself, if that kind of language, which later the Pennsylvania Supreme Court 
admitted was, quote, incendiary. If that kind of language had been used by a politician or a pundit, most of us would say, that needs fact-checking. And at that point, I began to plunge into the report and drill down on the data that was in not only the 884 pages, but it turns out 450-some other pages of photostatted replies and responses from church officials and others, which were appended to the report itself, uh, I began to plunge into that and came to the conclusion that, in fact, those charges, and again I stress, not the ones about the predatory priests, but the ones about church officials, were really not substantiated by the material that was in the report itself, but were grossly misleading and really unjust. That's very interesting. First, I I assume you did read all 1,200 pages that you refer to. Actually, there are 1,356 pages, and the answer is no. I didn't read all every page. Uh, maybe my fingerprints would be found on them, but there were pages I skimmed. Uh, I read hundreds and hundreds of the pages. I read hundreds of the 301 uh, quote, profiles of offenders that are included in the report. And I finally began to keep all that, in order to keep all this from being a simple blur, I would have to drill down carefully on one diocese, look at all the priests' offenders that were named, check the dates of when the abuse occurred, check the dates, which often happened much later, of the first uh, accusation coming to the knowledge of the uh, the diocese and check how each case was handled. And I came to the conclusion then that, in fact, those sweeping charges were not, were far from, um, from uh, substantiated in the one diocese I had checked minutely. But then I went and did uh, samples of other dioceses throughout the states to see if the one that I had gone through was in fact an outlier in some way, and found out that that wasn't uh, the case either. It's interesting what you uncovered and the effort that you put into it. I'm also interested that you and Commonweal were the only ones. I mean, this is a major, major story that has been so widely reported, but nobody seems like they even bothered to do any drilling at all. Well, I have to say, to begin with, I'm very sympathetic with my fellow journalists who were handed an 884-page document, uh, not having seen it in advance, and they had to uh, file a story on deadline. And naturally, they depended on the attorney general's own press conference and the first 12 pages and some of the very dramatic, even grotesque and uh, blasphemous cases of sexual abuse that were highlighted in the report. So I'm sympathetic with their situation. Uh, I've had to do things like that in the past, even to uh, write a clear and coherent uh, news story on a very complicated encyclical by Pope John uh, Paul II in four or five hours is a real challenge. I am disappointed that there was so little follow-up. And I think this reflects uh, something that has bothered me for a long time, that there is a kind of simplified dominant narrative, a 
script, more or less, for stories about the Catholic sexual abuse uh, scandal. And that script has emerged from a kind of uh, confluence of um, the, uh, I would admit, necessary litigation that victims have uh, pursued against dioceses for some sort of recompense on the one hand and on the media's uh, need for storytelling. And that has got down to a narrative that involves uh, negligent uh, bishops and church officials versus victims. Anything that falls outside that rather simple uh, narrative really has not been um, uh, sufficiently investigated so that people going into a story with an 884-page uh, document in front of them are very apt to structure it along those lines. One of your main points in uh, the Commonweal article was uh, the time, uh, the context of history over 70 years, treating all 70 years as though it happened uh, five years ago. Will you talk a little about that, please? Yeah, I think uh, I approach this as someone whose career has been in journalism as a writer, reporter, and editor. But I also say that I was trained academically in history, so I have a strong sense of uh, the need for uh, looking at changes over time. And I asked myself uh, when I saw the seven decades, actually seven-plus decades, treated as a single block, as you say, uh, what if we approached other subjects this way? What if we approached issues of family stability uh, over seven decades in the United States or issues of race relations or issues of environmental concerns and regulation and so on? Wouldn't we want to take note of real changes that took place in the culture and consciousness of Americans? Wouldn't we want to take note of landmark developments, for example, in race relations, the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act? And in this report, there's virtually nothing like that. They do make the concession that the Dallas Charter, uh, which was uh, passed by the bishops in 2002, following the Boston Globe's extensive exposés of uh, molestation by priests, that the Dallas Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People made some difference. But the, every way in which they treat that is kind of condescending and minimizing. Whereas if you look at a chart or you look at a graph at the number of uh, sexual abuse cases uh, in, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and then see them after from the late 90s on into the 2000s, dramatic differences are there. And uh, this was not really acknowledged. And I think it's a very important point because I, to the extent that we have done something right, it's important that we can build on that. I think, too, another thing that you mentioned in the article, if I understand it correctly, is that many of the accusations that have happened maybe decades ago have just only recently come out. And, uh, and uh, so it's kind of unfair to talk about something uh, that has just been recently dealt with that happened 40 years ago. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very careful with uh, using the word recently, but I think there, there, it's, it's very important to notice that there's often 
uh, more often than not, a long time gap between uh, when abuse occurs and when victims feel that they can come forward and report this. Uh, this has been the basis, and I think rightly so, of changing some of our statute of limitations uh, laws in various states. But it also is a factor in looking at the church's uh, response. For example, in the Dallas Charger of 2002, uh, it was provided for what has been referred to as zero tolerance. That is to say that any priest who was credibly uh, accused of sexual abuse of a minor at any time was now uh, had to be removed from active uh, ministry and roles as a priest. So the old question of whether bishops or church officials were reassigning people to ministry in order to deal with uh, accusations of, of abuse, that was no longer relevant after 2002. Priests were simply removed as quickly as they could be. In fact, my count is that between 30 and 40 percent of the offenders profiled in the grand jury report the first knowledge of their uh, abuse came to diocesan officials after 2002. So already there was no question at all of any uh, uh, dubious reassignment of these people to other parishes or other ministries. Your article in Commonweal uh, is now out there. Do you think it will have any impact on this story and how others treat it? Is there more to be found? Is there more reporting that you think other journalists should do or other institutions should do or the church itself or the, or the Pennsylvania grand jury itself? Well, the Pennsylvania grand jury itself, of course, is out of business. And the question now is uh, what happens to the various recommendations that they make to the state uh, legislature. Uh, but uh, I, I do think, you know, first of all, I have no idea uh, what impact, if any, my monster article of 11 to 12,000 words will have uh, on those who actually get around to reading it. Uh, there have been some very good summaries in some of the uh, religion and uh, news services in uh, Tom Reese's report in religion news service itself uh, touched on most of the essential points in my article. I would hope uh, a couple of things. I would hope that my uh, article would suggest standards of accuracy and complexity that will be observed by other investigators. Uh, I do hope that it might uh, uh, inspire some more scholars to take up the question of the whole history in the larger sense of the sex abuse scandal with many actors and factors at play. I've pointed out on a number of occasions that a trial is not a history. Uh, you know, even the Nuremberg trials, as important as they were, uh, don't give us a whole history of the Third Reich and all the things that are involved there. So I hope that that might happen. Um, I have some concerns that the, the, the press might be a little bit more self-critical about the, the narrative that I think has almost reflexively uh, uh, shaped the stories that they do. 
What about next steps for you? Uh, uh, are you thinking of doing more on this subject, perhaps even a book or something else, or have you had enough? Do you think you've said what you can say? For the moment, I think I've had enough. Uh, I have been, uh, uh, I have discussed with uh, uh, book editors and so on the idea of doing the kind of history of the sex abuse scandal that I'm trying to get other people to do. And uh, I'm no longer a young chick. And when I think of, uh, of spending uh, how much time uh, in what really is a very painful area, uh, and I, I, I have listened to the accounts of uh, a good number of uh, survivors and victims, and I can't face the idea of how many more years I would have to uh, be immersed in that. So I'm not sure. Uh, for the present, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of maybe doing something on 14th century French taxation practices or something like that. Peter Steinfels, thank you for being with us and thank you for your work. Thank you very much. Our guest was award-winning journalist and author Peter Steinfels, formerly of the New York Times, about his recent 11,000-word article in the magazine Commonweal. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. More episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. Come write a review or comment on our website, religionnews.com beliefs. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jonathan Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thank you for listening.